Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and back with me is Tim Cockrell. We'll be discussing his second sermon in our short sermon series, Understanding the Will of God. So Tim, let me tell you, if the success of a sermon or a sermon series is based at all on the number of conversations through the succeeding week, I'd say this has been a very productive sermon series. It certainly has been thought-provoking for me as well as for many of the people I've talked to, which has been really encouraging. Well, I, I know you've talked with some people after sermons and no doubt through the past week and a half or so. I've done the same thing. I've had a number of people ask me just, just uh, here recently. I had a couple of small group of leaders mm-hmm. say, uh, so in your ABF, your adult Bible fellowship, how's discussion been? And I told them and I said, you know, there's been uh, people, some people are, there's a little loss of equilibrium mm. because you've been challenging some long held assumptions in your sermon series, but also some very vibrant discussions. I'll put mm-hmm. it that way. And I said, how about you? And they said, same. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of discussion going around the church and that's good to hear. Really is. So let's jump into it here. In discussing the concept of what you defined as God's sovereign will, that overall uh, things that we don't, we may never know what it is for sure until, until it happens. I know that some might see this as equal to a fatalistic view of the world. In other words, you know, if God has everything already mapped out, mm-hmm. who cares what I decide to do, whether I'm obeying God or not? After all, it's going to go according to God's will anyway, isn't it? Yeah, that's the tough thing, isn't it? And what we have to affirm as we begin is that Scripture teaches both God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And that those two, we have to hold intentions. We use that kind of pulley analogy on Sunday, that if we pull too hard on one or the other, we get what I would call an unbiblical lack of balance. So if I pull too hard on the idea of God's sovereignty, I do have this kind of fatalistic forecast. Well, what's going to happen is going to happen and it doesn't really matter. Whereas on the the opposite side, if I put so much emphasis on the priority of my own responsibility, well, then I can begin to really feel anxious and uncertain because I think it all depends on me. And so I think what we have to do is say God's sovereign will is going to happen. You're not going to miss it. But that within that sovereign will, he gives us responsibility to make real, meaningful choices that have ultimate and even eternal results. So prayer is a good example. God calls us to pray. Does he already know what he's going to do? Yes, he does. And yet, in the mystery of God's will, he allows our prayers to move him in a way that that we can't fully understand. It's not just a matter of that prayer changes us, although that's true, but that God allows prayer to move him to action. In the same way we saw in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 4, that the sinful choices that people freely chose were a part of God's predetermined plan. And so you might wrestle with, well, how can God still hold them culpable if they were part of his plan? Well, I think what we have to understand is that God's plan is so powerful. God's sovereignty is so complete that he is able to bend even the rebellious choices of his creation in order to serve his purposes. And when it comes down to it, and this is not comfortable for us to say, I have to go back to what Romans chapter 9 says. If you remember talking about Jacob I loved and Esau I hated and and God's sovereignty. In Romans chapter 9, verse 19, it says this, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? 
for who has ever resisted his will? That's what we're talking about, that if God has a will, who can do anything other than that? But verse 20 says, but who indeed are you, a mere human being, to talk back to God? Does what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right to make from the same lump of clay one vessel for special use and another for ordinary use? And so similar to when we looked at the book of Job, at some point we have to come down to the fact that God is God and that's his prerogative. It's our prerogative to be obedient to what he's commanded us to do. So I made a comment during our adult Bible fellowship as I, that I was leading this past Sunday and I shared with our or our class, I said, you know, in past years, there have been times when I've kind of felt that those who have been teaching on this type of a subject, in particular on the sovereign will of God, mm-hmm. came across as saying, well, this is it. Don't you understand? This is how it works. And boom, boom, boom. And I, no names, but, but well-meaning this, they've got it all laid out. I've got to tell you, I don't have it all laid out. Mm-mm. I'm guessing that what you're saying is you don't have it all laid out and you don't understand it all either. And it's okay not to know everything about God, because as I said to my congregation, if I were to know everything about God and understand everything, all of a sudden he's not God. Mm-hmm. I am. Right. I'm equal with. Yes. We have to acknowledge that there is that mystery and, and that is uneasy for us. So like we want to know all the answers. We want to see how it all fits together. But I mean, like we said in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. There are things that we're not going to understand. Maybe even when we get to heaven, we're not going to understand how all those things fit together immediately. But we trust that they do and that what scripture affirms is true on both of those priorities. Well, and I know too, Tim, that you as our, our lead teaching pastor, the one who has a responsibility for being in the, on the platform and preaching most Sundays here at Grace, uh, there is a tension there because you have a responsibility to preach the Word of God. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think I know you well enough to know that you are not encouraging, not saying to people, look, you have to agree with me on every last thing because I am that guy you are saying, and I hear, let me phrase what I think you're saying. That is that here's what I see in the word, but you search the word and I, you don't think you're wrong, but Hey, I'm willing to listen to reasonable biblical arguments. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the mark of any leader teacher that is going to honor God is that they are going to study scripture carefully They're going to draw their conclusions communally, so it's not just in isolation, and they're going to hold those conclusions humbly that says, I I think I have a good reason for holding these positions. I've benefited from the wisdom and perspective of others. I've mentioned a few different books that have been influential in my thinking, but that there's not a one of us who has arrived. There's not a single one of us who has it all figured out, and so you're exactly right. What we need to do is when we feel that discomfort or that disequilibrium, like you mentioned earlier, that we go back to God's word and we search it to know what do I believe? Because the last thing we would want is for a church of people that just say, oh, well, whatever my pastor thinks, that's Mm -hmm. what I'll think too. Because then it really hasn't been internalized and that person hasn't really been a student of the scripture themselves. And by the same token, we want to honor the study of those sure. who are, are watching over our souls and so mm-hmm. forth. So, well, here, here's a comment from one of our, one of the listeners that uh, listens regularly. He says, Tim has often downplayed the role of feelings you know, here over the past couple of weeks, mm-hmm. uh, open doors you've mentioned, et cetera. 
and godly wisdom may or may not give us a definitive answer of what decision to make. So in those cases, shouldn't we, once we've sought and considered God's wisdom, make a decision that lie, aligns with that wisdom and trust that God and his sovereignty will work those decisions out for our good? In short, I don't know that I want to throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of God's nudges and directions, but I do want to validate those instances in concert with godly wisdom and trust, I might add, with scriptural evidence. Absolutely. I'm in 100% agreement with that. And I think what we're trying to do here is to achieve some amount of balance. What we're not saying is that your feelings are irrelevant in the decisions that you're making. What we're not saying is that God doesn't open doors or that circumstances aren't a part of his direction. What we're saying is that none of those things individually are determinative. Therefore, my feelings are real and they're valid and they're important, but they are not equated with God's leading. Open doors are exciting opportunities, but they are not necessarily God's direction to walk through that door. And so I really like the way that 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 commenter said, what we do is we take these things and we validate them through God's word and God's people. It's, It's as if we're anticipating what this next message, which will be in a couple of weeks, will cover. And that is, how do we go about making wise decisions? Because God has given us certain tools that if we use them rightly bring us down paths of wise decisions. If we use them wrongly, that's when we begin to become unbalanced. So just for instance, God has given us his word. Obviously, if we use it rightly to understand the priorities and the principles and the commands that God teaches and then make our decisions within those boundaries, like we talked about this last week, that's a really good thing. If we use it for what I would call Bible roulette, where we just open up the Bible in hopes that this random verse that I happen to choose is going to give me some hidden insight as to whether... Or better yet, throw the book on the table and let it open to where it will. Exactly. You know, that that if it says Abraham went to a far country, that must mean I'm supposed to take that job in Sacramento. (laughs) Then that's when we get into some really dangerous, almost mystical divination as opposed to biblical discernment. And that's really what we're driving at here is that we... We gather information, we consider our feelings, we look at the opportunities that God has put in front of us, and we consider all of that within the boundaries of God's moral will, as well as the the tools of wisdom that God has entrusted to us. And it does get back, you know, we talk regularly about disciplining our minds, Mm -hmm. disciplining ourselves to follow God and to understand his, his ways. This filling of the Holy Spirit is so important. And so whereas one might feel something, what I hear you saying, whereas one might feel something and another might feel something, if that first person is regularly in the word of God and really seeking God's will and the, and the second one is, well, whatever God makes me feel, so to speak, but they're not spending that time in fellowship and in the word of God, maybe different feelings, but one may be more valid than the other. Perhaps. Maybe. Or perhaps the feelings are tethered with truth because we all know that our feelings are not always trustworthy. You know, if every time we felt a lack of peace and we assumed, well, that must mean that I'm not the, you know, doing the right thing. Well, I can think of many grooms when I'm performing a wedding who wouldn't have followed through on that, that marriage because in that moment they didn't feel peace because they were nervous. They, they recognized <laughs> the gravity of the situation, but that didn't mean that it was the wrong decision. And in the same way, there are times where we 
we feel like we need to be done with suffering. Like God needs to bring us out of the valley. And he says, well, no, actually, I'm going to walk with you through that valley. But that if we felt like, well, no, God's going to change something, well, that just is going to increase that disillusionment. So it's not a matter of discounting our feelings, but rather making them the caboose of the train rather than the engine. Another somewhat long, but I think it's a very good comment. Uh, This one has remarked or said, you've remarked that one of your goals, Tim, in studying this subject of understanding God's will is to free us from guilt or worry that some may have by obsessing over making the right decision. But this person said, can't you also go too far in the freedom direction or so far that you lose sight of being ultimately dependent on God? In other words, dependence on God is not being paralyzed until he clearly reveals what we should do, but it's a reliance on him and his character, God's character, such that we trust that he will put us where he wants us when he wants us there. This faith allows us to take steps when we don't have a clear path ahead of us. Your thoughts? Absolutely. And that's what we were trying to lay out in this past Sunday's message, that we are resting in God's sovereign will, that no matter what I choose, especially when I can't see the future, that God is going to be working all those things together for good, that we are attentive to his moral will, that we are diligently studying the scriptures, that we are saturated with it, not just to know information, but to know the heart of Christ. Mm. Because it's really personal and experiential, not just a matter of, of facts and information. And that once we have those two outer layers providing the boundaries, if you will, of our decision making, then that is where we have the freedom to make decisions while still in dependence. So I was talking with somebody on Sunday, and at the end of my message, I gave kind of the joking illustration that if you're a parent, you wouldn't want your child calling you saying, hey, I'm at Chipotle, should I get the burrito bowl or should I get the burrito? And and the, the person, I thought, rightly brought up this question of, but aren't we supposed to continue to be dependent on God in ways that we wouldn't necessarily want our children to be dependent on us? And my answer is yes, but in a relational sense rather than a regulatory sense. So in other words, rather than saying, okay, I know that there's a list of rules I have to keep, as if God wanted to micromanage all my decisions, what I'm thinking is what would most please God? Mm -hmm. What, What would his example, what would his character point me to as the wise decision in this situation? And that then I'm able to do that while in dependence on him but with also the freedom of responsibility that says within those boundaries, he says, go ahead and make your decision. Like what we mentioned on Sunday, that when he created the Garden of Eden, he said, don't eat from this tree. And like, okay, what are the rest of the instructions? He says, go and eat from any of the other trees. It doesn't mean that they were being sinfully independent of God, but rather that they were joyfully experiencing the freedoms that God in his good plan had provided them. We've mentioned, I think it was probably before uh, you came to join us here over a year ago, mentioned this illustration, but uh, back in the latter part of the 1800s, Charles Sheldon, uh, pastor, I believe in New York, wrote the book, uh, Christian Classic, In His Steps. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and it's a a wonderful novel of a church's kind of transformation and really focusing on the will of God. Uh, And then, what, two decades ago, maybe, uh, everybody's walking around with the bracelet WWJD, mm-hmm. what would Jesus do? Now, this seems to go along with what you're saying here, in as much as we have a 
this bracelet's reminding us to think, what would Jesus do? We don't want to get so caught up and so bogged down with just belaboring every little decision. However, it is good to keep in mind seeking to glorify mm-hmm. Jesus and seeking to do what he would want. But there's a, there's a tension there, isn't there? Right. And I think part of it is, even as you know, someone's listening right now, you know your tendencies. Some of you are overthinkers. You are prone to analysis paralysis, and you, you're going to just constantly be thinking, I've got to make the best decision. I want to make sure I'm making the right decision. And what you need to be reminded of through this is God calls you to take faith-filled initiative, that you don't wait around until you have all the answers. You don't just watch the sky saying, well, maybe it's going to rain. I better not go out and plant, as Ecclesiastes 11 warns us. Other of you out there are overconfident. You think, you know what, I've pretty much got this under control. If I'm making like a really major life decision, then then I'll ask God for some wisdom. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure I've got this figured out. You need to be reminded that actually you have to walk in daily dependence because your heart is deceitful. Put your bracelet on. Exactly. <laughs> you can't trust just whatever thought or feeling comes to your mind. But you ought to be suspicious of your own heart in a way that you have people around you that can help guard you from going down wrong paths and you hold your plans with that kind of open handedness that say, God, I want to honor you. And I believe that this is the way that you're leading me. But I also recognize that you are sovereign to frustrate my plans, to redirect my steps, to transform my timetable, all because ultimately you are the one who is sovereign, not me. And in my experience, it's not abnormal for a marriage to be populated by two individuals who hit either end of that spectrum. Isn't it funny how God has a sense of humor to bring people together that are very different? And, and what a blessing, too. Absolutely. Really, whether it's friendships and just normal friendships or marital relationships, whatever, it is healthy to have both of those, uh, both of those, I won't say extremes, but both of those dynamics present because we challenge one another and we should have those types of iron-on-iron experiences regularly. Absolutely. The, the greatest unity does not come through uniformity, but through unity that's found within our diversity. So here was another statement that uh, one one mentioned uh, in regard to this type of a this type of discussion. They offer this perspective. Would it be accurate regarding God's will to say, yes, God does have a plan for your life. He does want you to pursue him as you take each step along the way. In many cases, you'll be faced with uncertainty on the path you should take. But do not worry because God's sovereignty ensures you're good along the path and at the end of the path. In those times when there's a lack of clarity, multiple choices appear, for example, to be in keeping with God's scriptural guidance. Don't be afraid. Seek God's kingdom. Hold God's hand. Take a step. Take a step in faith and know that God will not allow you to go where you should not go. I don't know who said that, but they can preach that for the next uh, <laughs> next sermon because that's, that's exactly the type of emphasis what we're, we're trying to emphasize is that there are people that assume I have to have the right answer. I have to have this inner impression or this this still small voice or or some subjective sense of guidance that brings me certainty before I can step forward. But you know, somebody I don't remember even who told me, but they basically said if you walk in the moral will of God today, you will be walking in his specific will tomorrow. 
that there's so much that's hidden from our sight today that if we just focus on what has God called me to do and how do I faithfully carry out the responsibilities he's given me, he will be directing our steps. His word promises that, that we can plan our way, but he will direct our steps. Be making our paths straight. Well, so I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about in, in Proverbs chapter 16, okay. where it says the, the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And in that sense, what it's saying is that God is, is working out his big plan. And we can't see that looking ahead, but there are times where we can see it looking back. Where, you know, even, you know, in the first sermon of this, Katie and I shared just a bit of our testimony. In the moment, we couldn't see what God was doing. But now as years have gone by, we can realize what was going on in our hearts, how God was working, and how God brought two people who are very different together in a really complementary way. And I think that just brings us encouragement that we can take steps of faith, resting in the fact that God is going to work all things together for good in ways that we can't see right now. Can I complicate this uh, matter just a little bit? I want to want to introduce the idea of scriptural interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just made a comment that was in reference to Proverbs chapter 3 and 5 and 6, and this is a passage that, that you and I have sung mm-hmm. over our life, uh, mm-hmm. uh, looking at the idea of uh, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct thy path in the King James. Correct. There may be a better translation. This is just mm-hmm. one example where the scripture is really saying maybe a better translation is he will make your path straight. Correct. And Friesen uh, in his book mm-hmm. uh, talks about this. It's a book that's what? two, three decades old, yeah, 40 uh, years old, 40 now. years. Mm-hmm. Okay. But he talks about this particular passage and a number of other passages mm-hmm. that maybe we need to be careful of uh, and be uh, diligent to look at other options and maybe better options of the, uh, of the interpretation. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Yeah. And I think what, what I want to say first is I think there's a danger that in, in offering some of these corrections that, Somebody out there might think, oh, well, you've got to have a degree in Bible then to really understand what the Bible says, or I'm prone to misunderstand it. I think it more is just advocating a, a careful approach to studying God's word that reads it in context, that guards against our presuppositions, and reads it theologically, that is, in comparison to what other verses would say about it. So we talked a little bit about this last week. That when we read certain verses about that we ought to um, be devoting ourselves, Romans chapter 12, and not being conformed to the image of this world so that we might be able to discern what is the will of God, his acceptable and perfect will. Well, if you approach that assuming that's talking about his sovereign specific will, you're going to interpret that and, and apply that in one way. Whereas if you assume that it's talking about his moral will, you're going to approach it in a different way. And so uh, trying to understand what God's word says in the big picture and in its immediate context. So Jeremiah 29 11 was one that we mentioned that first week that we are prone to kind of cherry pick some of these passages that were like, Ooh, I, I like the way that sounds or that resonates with some experience that I've had, but that we read it in context contextually as well as theologically that's going to guard us against some of those dangers good good and i think it's important to recognize that like as you said 
you don't have to be a PhD or an MDiv. You don't mm-hmm. even have to have a bachelor's degree or minor in Bible. Read the Bible clearly. Yes. It's really a good statement. Good. Tim, you noted uh, that when facing a decision between multiple options, a better option, rather than asking God, what option should I choose, might be to say, God, which of the options most glorifies you? It seems here you're pinpointing the motivation of the individual, right? Absolutely. So when we talked about the revealed will of God, there were kind of those three elements. The first one is your motivation. Why are you doing what you're doing? And so many times I think Christians obsess about, I want to make the right decision. I want to get to the right destination. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that God cares far more about the process than he does about the end result that he cares more about why and how we make these decisions than what decision we ultimately make. That doesn't mean he isn't concerned about your decision, but if we're approaching the decision-making process with the right motive and in the right way, then ultimately we're going to be making a decision that falls within that realm of, of wisdom within the boundaries of God's moral will. And so when we're making these decisions, what glorifies God? What pleases God? What, what helps me to become more like Christ? That guards us against some of these selfish motivations, these prideful motivations that would be prone to say, well, I want to accept this job because it means more money, or I want to accept this job because it gives me more power, provides me a a greater position of, of prominence, that instead we're focused on the eternal values that, as Jesus would say, seek first the kingdom. And that if we're seeking first the kingdom, then the other things that we might be concerned about, ultimately God is going to care for. There's one other item I want to bring up, and it's it's one of these uh, things that can really blow up a discussion. But it's this: in discussing God's sovereign will, it, it is very hard to stay away from that from questions of, of tragedies, mm-hmm. of hurts that may be due to other sins or direct results of sin that others perpetrate. Mm-hmm. And it affects me. James tells me that God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Seems to indicate God is not the author of sin. Is it right to ascribe these circumstances to the will of God? Yep. And that's such an important question. And you're right. You can spend a long time discussing it. So let me spend maybe just a couple of minutes trying to create the boundaries or the parameters for this discussion. First of all, we have to say that, like you said, God is not the author of sin. He's not the direct cause of sin, any of those things. But I think we have to, when we pause and think through the ways that we've been sinned against, the the natural disasters and tragedies that would happen, we really only have two choices. Either God is sovereign over that, or he's not. People really wrestle with the idea that he's sovereign over that because then they feel like, well, that means God could have prevented it and he didn't. That means this awful thing that happened to me or these thousands of people that died in this tragedy, that God allowed it to happen. You even could say in in the case of a natural disaster, God caused it to happen because he's the one who's sovereign over all of those types of things. But I think we have to pause and say, is the alternative biblical or preferable? And that would be that there are some things that fall outside the scope of God's control. And that God is just as surprised as you are. Well, then that isn't any comfort at all. 
that, that there is such thing as kind of blind fate or chaotic circumstances. Back when I was in college, uh, there was a theological movement called open theism that kind of swung the pendulum too far that direction, saying that, that God is just as surprised about these things as you are. And in the effort to try to guard God's goodness, they surrendered God's providence, his sovereignty. And so where we have to land, I think, is to say God is sovereign over all things. That's what scripture teaches. And quite honestly, if we rightly understand that truth, it brings us great comfort. Why God allows those things, we don't always know. He doesn't disclose them to us. In fact, I would say most of the time he does not disclose us it, to us. But we do have to trust, and this is what's really hard for us when we're in the valley, is that God is working out the best possible plan that could have ever taken place. You say, how does the best possible plan include sin and suffering and sadness and all those things? We don't know, but we trust that God is working out the plan that is going to be most effective to bring himself glory and for our good. A paraphrase of what you just said is a paraphrase of a statement that I've heard and you've heard over the years, and that is God is sovereign over all or he's not sovereign at all. Yes. It can't be one or the other. It can't be both. Mm -hmm. Tim, next week, I believe we're going to diverge from our sermon series for a week. We are. Share a little bit about what's happening. Yeah, so I'm excited. Josh Langford and his wife Ariana have been a part of our church family for a little while, and they are getting ready to travel out to Utah, where they are going to live and be uh, in a residence in some of the churches that we've cooperated with there Gospel Grace, Gospel Peace, Gospel Hope. Uh, Will Galkin's one of the pastors out there. And as we've talked about Multiply Grace, one of our desires is to, to raise up, develop, and deploy kingdom partners to build and strengthen churches locally as well as more broadly. And Josh is one of those who serve faithfully here in our church and our youth group and in our music ministry. And he's going to be preaching for us out of Psalm 32. And I'm just really looking forward to him sharing uh, for a variety of reasons. One, to, to benefit from the wisdom that God has blessed him with, but also to celebrate the fact that as they now go out, that God has prepared them and is continuing to prepare them for, for fruitful ministry. And I'm excited to see what that partnership looks like moving forward. Well, we'll look forward to hearing what Josh has to say, what God has laid on his heart. Hey, as I said, this sermon series has not been uh, fun for everybody. <laughs> it's challenged uh, all of us, I think. wonder if you would just close in prayer. We don't do this regularly, but if you would close in prayer, just pray for our congregation as we search through the scriptures for these items. I'd be happy to. Father, we come to you as the only wise and sovereign God, and we do confess that these conversations often lead to a measure of discomfort and disequilibrium, as it reminds us of what we don't know and can't know, but that you do. And so, God, I pray that you would deepen our faith, that you would calm our hearts, that your spirit would be working in us to guide us into all truth through our faithful study of your word through our humble engagement with fellow believers who may even disagree or have different perspectives than we do, and that ultimately we would walk by faith in a way that longs to please you. God, I know there's some that are listening right now that are facing big decisions or, or disappointed expectations. God, I pray that you would give them your wisdom, that you would give them your grace, and that you would give them your peace, that as they live to please you, that you would transform their character that you would lay bare their motives, that you would help them to grow in attitudes that honor you so that it isn't just a matter of making a right or a wrong decision, 
but becoming the type of person that honors you in the daily decisions that we make. So God, we thank you for your love, for your spirit, and for your son, in whose name we pray. Amen. We've been digging deeper today with Tim Cockrell, and you can access Grace Sermons and podcast episodes on demand by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking the Media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week. You can email those to contact at gracecedarville.org. Plan to join us next time as we continue our discussion of God's Word. And until then, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.